0: Hi, and welcome back to the Living Hope College Ministry Podcast. My name is Hunter Sewell, and I'm the college minister here at Living Hope. Today is February 4th, and I'm super thankful that you've decided to listen in today. It's been incredibly encouraging over the past week to see how quickly this podcast idea has taken off. I was hoping for just a few people to check it out. We've had almost 75 listens so far and some really good feedback, so I'm excited to see where this keeps going. But before we get into the teaching time from last Wednesday, here are a few announcements. First, our text for this Wednesday night is John chapter 8, verse 12 through 39. I want to encourage you to begin reading the passage and praying through it. Just as it's my responsibility to prepare to teach God's Word, so too is it your responsibility to prepare to sit under the teaching of God's Word. I trust that the more familiar you are with the passage and the more you've prepared your heart to be taught, then the more room that the Holy Spirit has to work in your heart. So John eight, twelve through 39 is for this Wednesday. And if you've never been to our college ministry on Wednesday nights, I want to encourage you to come. We meet in the chapel at Living Hope at 8.20 for a time of worship, teaching, and fellowship. You're always welcome and always encouraged to bring friends. Secondly, this week we're going to have dinner before the service starts. At 7.15 in the chapel, we're going to have some baked spaghetti, fizzoles, breadsticks, and some desserts. This is a great opportunity to get some free food, which is always a nice thing. Plus, you can bring a friend who may not regularly come to church, and you also get a chance to build relationships with other students in the college ministry. So I want to invite you to come hang out with us and eat some good food before we have our time of worship. And third, this week we're starting our evangelism training. It's going to be on Friday from 6 to 7 p.m., and we're going to have Matt and Courtney Powell lead it for us. They have spent a few years on the field in Southern Asia, and they're going to be helping us think through what the gospel is and how to share it with the people in our lives. So if you've never been trained or you just aren't very confident in how to share the gospel, this is the perfect opportunity for you to learn. This is our first of two trainings, the first one on February 8th and the second one on February 15th, that's next Friday. And these are designed to help give you the tools that you need to confidently and boldly share the gospel. Remember that our ministry-wide challenge this semester is to make two, make two disciples. And this is designed to help you do just that. And finally, be sure you've included yourself in the texting software for the college ministry. You can find the link to that on our Facebook and Instagram pages. And if you haven't already done that, please go ahead and do so. That way you can stay informed on what's going on. And you have my promise, I won't blow your phones up with any notifications for more than a text or two a week. Okay, good deal. Now that all that's out of the way, I want to recap for us a few highlights from last Wednesday and kind of give you a glimpse of what's to come for this upcoming week. So, last Wednesday night, our text was from John chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11. This is commonly known as the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And as the scriptures tell us, it's nearing the end of the Festival of Booths, which is sometimes called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a week long event where God had commanded the people of Israel to partake in a celebration of God's provision for the people and also to remind them of how God had rescued them from the Egyptians, how he'd protected them in the wilderness and provided the promised land for them. It was a celebration to help remember the salvation that God had provided for his people. And so Jesus has been in the temple teaching all throughout the week. And as Jesus usually does, he makes some pretty astonishing claims about his identity, and it's ruffled the feathers of the Pharisees. And they're upset with Jesus because he was kind of undermining their authority, and so they were seeking ways to trap Jesus so they could arrest him. And as the scriptures tell the story, Jesus has come again to the temple. He sat down on the ground and is teaching all of the people. And then we read that the Pharisees have brought a woman to Jesus who has been caught in the act of adultery. And they begin to openly condemn this woman to the punishment of the law, which is death. And they ask Jesus what they should do, looking to trap him in his answers. Because if Jesus would have responded in agreement with them, he would have been guilty of breaking the Roman law, for only the Romans had the ability to execute capital punishment. So in condemning this woman, he would have lost the reputation he had built as a friend of the sinners and the tax collectors because she would have died and he would have lost the respect of the people. But had he rejected their proposition to kill this woman, he would have appeared to condone the act of adultery and he would have been found in opposition to the law that was given to the people of Israel by God. And in this case, it would have been easy for the Pharisees to arrest Jesus without any sort of pushback from the people because he had broken God's law. So it appears that Jesus has found himself in a tight spot here. But Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows the law of God, for he's the author of it. And so Jesus knows what these Pharisees are up to. Because what's really interesting is that the law says that if there's someone caught in the act of adultery, both the man and the woman are to be put to death. Both the adulterer and the adulteress. Yet there's only the woman here. And Jesus knows exactly what these Pharisees are here for. He knows they're not doing this because they're seeking to justly apply the law, but that they're here to trap him. And this woman is being used as a political pawn in their power struggle. And Jesus' response to their question is fascinating. So in the midst of all this chaos, Jesus bends down to the ground and begins to write in the sand. Perhaps Jesus began to write with his finger all of the law, as he had done with Moses when he was writing the law on the tablets of stone. Or perhaps he began to write down all of the sins of the people in the temple, including the Pharisees, and openly expose the wickedness in their hearts. Or perhaps it was something entirely different. We'll never really know. But what Scripture does tell us is that he bent down and he wrote, And then he spoke to them, saying, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus didn't address the law first. He didn't address the woman first. No, he addressed the Pharisees first. He said, You who are without sin may cast the first stone. And then he began to write again. Jesus already knew what the law said, that the accusers must be the ones to throw the first stones. But he had already disqualified the accusers. They could stone this woman and so uphold the law as long as they themselves had never broken it. But of course, they weren't pure. So here they stood before Jesus, as naked and as exposed as the woman that they had brought into the temple. All of their plotting and their scheming had been in vain, and they had no choice but to slink away, one by one, until just Jesus and this woman were together. And then Jesus deals with the woman. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she responds, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And what a remarkable encounter this is. Jesus forgives her. Here's a woman that deserves to be condemned, but Jesus says you are not condemned. She broke the law, and she deserves the punishment. She's guilty. She deserves death, but Jesus lets her go free. She deserves the condemnation, but Jesus forgives her. She deserves to die, but she goes free. How can Jesus do this? How can he forgive a blatant trespass against the holy God of the universe? God declared that this woman deserved death, but Jesus lets her go free. How? Because he himself would become sin for her. He doesn't ignore or dismiss her sin. He doesn't excuse it or belittle it. No, he acknowledges it and he deals with it. She had committed a grievance against her husband, but make no mistake, her sin was ultimately offense to the holy God of heaven, and she deserved death. But John 3.17 tells that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He hadn't come here to condemn her. He was here to save her. She wouldn't bear the punishment for her sin because he would bear it for her. He would be put to death and she would go free. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6 reads, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus covers her disgrace with his grace. He covers her guilt with his blood. He covers her shame with his approval. He covers her embarrassment with his peace. He covers her humiliation with his honor. He covers her sins with his forgiveness, her impurity, his purity, her sinfulness, his righteousness, her life, his life. Jesus had the authority to speak to this woman this way because he himself would go to the cross to take the punishment for her. Mercy had triumphed over judgment for her at a great cost to Jesus. And now I realize that there are many who question the authenticity and the authority of this passage, but rather digging into all of the nitty-gritty details I want us to consider the larger truths that this passage teaches about Jesus. Is this a historically viable event? And does this passage share consistency with the rest of Scripture in regards to Jesus' character? And the answer to both of these questions is overwhelmingly yes. Specifically, I want you to think about the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. This woman has also a morally impure past, but he speaks to her with kindness and with love And he ultimately reveals himself to her as the Messiah. So though I do not think that this passage is original to the Gospel of John, this story is still important for us to labor over because it tells our stories. It tells the story of every person who has ever been set free from the condemnation that we deserve because of our sins. Each of us have crossed that boundary of moral purity. And regardless of what it was that took us from impure to pure, we deserve to be condemned in our sins. We deserve the eternal penalty that would have us spend eternity away from God in a place called hell. But so praise God that the way that Jesus dealt with this woman caught in adultery is the same way that he deals with us. He says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How can this be? In 1 Peter 2:24, Peter writes this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus has been condemned in our place, so that we may be forgiven and made righteous. He covers our disgrace with his grace. He covers our guilt with His blood. He covers our shame with His approval. He covers our embarrassment with His peace. He covers our humiliation with His honor. He covers our sins with His forgiveness, our impurity, His purity, our sinfulness, His righteousness, our life, His life. And Romans 8 tells us how God sent Jesus to be born in the likeness of sinful flesh so that as sinful flesh He might take on the sins of all who believe in His body on the cross. And the righteous wrath of God was poured out on him for the sins of all who would believe. And the requirements of the law were fulfilled in order that we might go free. Jesus was crushed for you and me so that we would not stand condemned, but that we would be free to enter into a restored relationship with the God who created us. And we can spend an eternity with him in heaven. And praise God, what a wonderful Savior Jesus is. The two big takeaways from this text were to one, believe it. To believe this to be true with your whole being. Forgiveness comes by grace through faith in Christ. Our forgiveness comes not on our ability to be perfect, but on Christ's sacrifice for us. So believe it. If you're someone who's saying, yeah, I'd like to believe that, but I just don't know how. I'd love to spend a few minutes talking and praying with you. Please don't hesitate to contact me because one of the greatest joys of ministry is getting to be a part of God saving a soul. So I want to encourage you to believe this. Believe that you're deserving of that punishment, but that Christ has taken that upon himself and he's invited you into a restored relationship with him. And secondly, Go and sin no more. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is a declaration that we are no longer condemned, but he gives us his instructions to go and to sin no more. If the Spirit of God dwells within our hearts, which it does if we're believers in Christ, then we cannot willingly and habitually walk in sin. And I want to encourage you to take a few minutes and read 1 John chapter 3, verses 6-9. through Jesus' death on the cross didn't serve as a license to sin, but to liberate us from sin. So from now on, instead of pursuing the things of the flesh... Were to pursue holiness. Remember, be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. And in summary, John Piper writes this. This story points us to the message of the whole New Testament. We're called to be holy as God is holy. God hates sin. But pursuing a holiness without a profound experience of grace in our own lives produces hypocrisy and doctrinaire cruelty. Jesus came into this world to provide a grace through his cross and to establish holiness, righteousness, and justice On the foundation of our experience of his grace. So come to him for grace and set your face to sin no more. If you'd like to listen to this whole sermon, you can find it on SoundCloud under my name. No, I'm not a SoundCloud rapper, but yes, I am a SoundCloud preacher. And as I mentioned earlier this week, we're going to be in John chapter 8, verse 12 through 39. And Lord willing, we're going to have an opportunity to open God's word together and take a look at the significance of Jesus declaring himself to be the light of the world. Not just that he knows the light of the world or that he can show us the light of the world, but that he is the light of the world. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will do a work in each of our hearts as we read and study this passage together. And as always, if you have any questions about the message from last week or the text for this upcoming Wednesday, please feel free to send me a message and I'll be glad to address those with you. This is the Living Hope College Ministry podcast. Thanks for listening.